Hi, this is Ashley. And Maggie. And you're listening to The Watering Hole, a place where animals and animal enthusiasts regularly drink. Every episode, we'll talk about different animal... Every episode, we'll talk about different animals <laughs> and why they're cool. From basic biology to the threats they face and what people are doing about it. All while under the influence. <laughs> Didn't you know? Listen, when you mess up, you just stop. The best people, when you interview them and they mess up, they just take a pause and then they start over. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And I just edited it so you don't know that's how I did it, but that's how I did it. <laughs> All right. I get to go first this time. You do. How you doing? I'm doing great. You feeling good about this? I'm feeling this? good. Um, I'm... Wearing a very thick sweater today that just keeps coming on and off as we uh, on, fluctuate. Right, right. Because I need <laughs> you get, this you get, it's, it's the drink sweats. Right? right? You get warm and then you're like, ooh, why am I sweating? And you take it off and you're immediately cold because that's how, you know, bodies work. But uh, is that how bodies work? Sure. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, All right. Do you want to give me hints for your animals or do you want to talk do. more? No, I, I mean, we could talk a little bit more. We could. What do we want to talk about? Mm. I feel like everything is everything we've been talking about up until this moment has just been about our dogs or men. Yeah. And who really wants to hear us talk more about those things? I mean, so our dogs. <laughs> now, um, Maggie realized tonight that my dog actually likes her, which she did not think was. The, the I did king. not think Ollie was into me, and <laughs> twice now he has hopped into my lap. And made out with me. Uh, Ollie is very much a dog that, like, doesn't give you any clue of what he's feeling other than sadness, which is not accurate to how he feels. Um, my roommate sent me a picture today because she took him hiking of him in the car, and he hates car rides. And I was like, oh, he looks like such a baby because he's always so pathetic in the car. And she's like, oh, I thought he just hated me. I was like, no, that's just how he looks in the car. <laughs> like, he literally looks like you're going to drive him off into the woods and leave him there. Um, which has not happened, Ollie. <laughs> not since I've had you. But no, he does. So, he, he's misleading, but he loves you. Um, only because I'm drinking and I'm easily distracted. Uh, I'm I'm interested to guess what your animal is this time. Oh, okay. Well, so I love way, guessing. The way I was going to start this off was from a quote from when this one one of the first times this animal was seen. Oh, and I feel like it's gonna give it away if I tell you whose description it was. Really? You so think, I'm gonna give you. Think you think I'm that smart? If you combine the two together. Okay. Also, the more I read it, the more you're going to read me one or the other. All right. I'm and gonna, I bet I won't get it. I'm going to read you the description. Okay. And then if you need more help, I'll tell you who wrote it. There's also one word in here that's very much to give away, so I might skip over that. All right. Okay. This is the description of one of the first times they were Ever. written down, documented. Okay. I'm ready. The black lava rocks on the beach are fre- frequented I'm going to start that over. I already know what it is. Damn it! (laughs) Let me finish it and then you can go. The black lava rocks on the beach are frequented by large, disgusting, clumsy lizards. They are as black as the porous rocks over which they crawl and seek their prey from the sea. I call them imps of darkness. They assuredly well become the land they inhabit. Maggie? It's, um... It's those iguanas in the Galapagos <laughs> Islands. Yes, it is marine iguanas. 
so fucking stoked. <laughs> so this is a description from Charles Darwin. Darwin. Um, which would have been a pretty big get- getaway because yeah. Darwin's Give all... Away. Not a getaway. I mean, the Galapagos are a getaway. They're quite the getaway. Uh, giveaway. My bad. Because Charles Darwin... I mean, he wasn't the first to discover the Galapagos, but he did a lot of work in the Galapagos. Evolution, Evolution, guys. yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was not a huge fan of marine iguanas. Now, to be fair, no, not that he wasn't a huge fan. He just didn't see them quite as beauteous as uh, yeah. those who appreciate the reptilians do. Yeah. Um, but they are pretty fucking ugly. Yeah. Like, they're, like, but, like, at, in the same way that, like, really weird-looking things are really beautiful. Totally. Like, they, like, you're like, this, why did this exist? How this is this, amazing. How did, how did the world create this? Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, like I said, they were found on the Galapagos, and that's the only place they're found, is the Galapos Islands. Galapos. Galapos. <laughs> is that what I said? Yep. Galapagos! There's a second G in there. Um, their uh, scientific name, because you know I'm always a fan of trying to right. pronounce these, right. is Amblyrhynchus Christatus. I love it. I love it. Every Plus, time you do it. Just... <laughs> the first part means blunt snout. So Ambly means blunt. Rhynchus means snout. Blunt snout. And then Christosis is crested because they have um, a crest on their head. Yeah, they, I'm, I'm, I'm all with the crested animals. Um, crested? Crested animals. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are, so there's marine iguanas, that's a species, but there's also a lot of subspecies. Depending on what you and you, what research you use, yeah. <laughs> it's usually between like seven and eight different subspecies of iguanas. Okay. And they're usually named based on the different portions of the island or different islands that they're on. But so I thought I would start with a little bit about their evolution, mainly in that they're basically thought to have evolved from a common ancestor that was a land-dwelling iguana. Okay. And they uh, arrived here from Central or South America, presumably by rafting, which is... <laughs> which means, like, you exactly just... Exactly <laughs> what you think it might mean. <laughs> like a tree is just floating in the ocean. Yeah. Floating in the ocean. Yeah. Does that rhyme or is that just me right now? It's just you. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it just goes out to these islands. Yeah. You're like, new Basically, home, any kind of like marine debris that they would find, yeah. which is typically going to be like some kind of log or something that'll float, they just think that they... Going for a ride. They latched on and they happened on this island. I think that's the most interesting thing when you are on an island and some different species, like they, they are not native to that part of the world for yeah. chance but they got there because they either swam or they floated yeah and that's the case in new zealand in tasmania islands all throughout north america even yeah. it's just really it's so interesting because they're not like they're technically not native but they don't right. exist anywhere else right so like they were able their ancestors floated along and now they're thriving because they're unique to that area. Yeah. It's really cool. But so there are two, there are a, bu- there's a, a bunch of different studies that have been done on these guys. One study that studied mitochondrial DNA oh. suggested that they split from land iguana. Iguaners. Iguaners. That's how we call them in a, you know, layman's terms. <laughs> um, that they split from land iguanas eight to 10 million years ago. But a more recent study um, that involved mitochondria DNA and also nucleic DNA um, suggests it was 4.5 million years ago. 
Can you? So, do you want to describe the difference between nucleic and mitochondriac? Mitochondrial? Which comes from where you get the DNA from? The oh, mitochondria okay. right. versus the nucleus of a cell? Right. I was going to say, is it like the nucleus of a cell? And then remind me where the mito... The mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. Please, Maggie. I'm sorry. Listen, there's a lot of people who didn't study animal biology listening this is to like this podcast. Big, that's what you learn in eighth grade. The mitochondria is the who powerhouse. Who remembers what we studied in the eighth grade? Mitochondria are I the remember the mitochondria. I remember oh, no. mitochondria. I don't remember what it did. The powerhouse of the cell. So is it like the brain of the cell? No, because that's, that's the nucleus. It's like the brain. So then, what's the fucking powerhouse? The muscle? Yeah, sure. I don't know. <sighs> Basically, there's multiple studies. These things are really fucking old. Great. That's all we got. Great. Moving on. Listen, if you all agree with me and you don't remember what the fuck you learned in eighth there's grade, there's like memes that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. I'm sure there are. Who's looking at those memes? Me. Other biologists. Me. So moving on to their descriptions. <laughs> so oh, these guys. Just push your glasses um, up one more time. I do. Somebody t- told me that I was a sexy librarian the other day. Oh, that's like, hot. Hey, somebody somebody complimented my eyebrows the other day. That, I can compliment. I don't want to like steal your thunder, but I get complimented on my eyebrows a lot. That's great. Isn't that a cool compliment? It's good. And it was a stranger. Like, it was a flight attendant. Oh, wow. Anyway. Okay, go on. Let's talk about lizards. So um, I will say, as as rude as Darwin's description was, it wasn't wrong. Right. <laughs> there are these weird-looking lizards. They have a very thick body, short little limbs. Mm-hmm. They have rows of spines um, all down their neck, down to their tail. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, there's a bunch of different subspecies, so they kind of there's a variety. The males tend to be larger. There tends to also be a lot of dark tones because... As you know, if you've been out in the heat in summer, if you wear dark clothing, it's going to absorb heat a lot yeah. faster. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when they dive into the water, so these are marine iguanas, which means they're one of the few reptiles that are amphibious. They spend like equal amounts of times in the water. Times? Yeah. Time yeah, in yeah. the water. Water is cold, so they lose a lot of heat pretty fast. So being able to absorb heat quickly is really important. Generally speaking, they tend to be, like, just dark colors, but there's random ones that have, like, this reddy rust no. color, but they, and they'll have, like, bright blue, bright teal. Like, it's crazy. Again, generally, they're pretty dark, but, like, randomly, they'll have these really bright colors. That's cool. Do we know why? No. I don't. <laughs> Other people it's like a might. <laughs> right? Who knows what goes on there? So they have a laterally flattened tail that provides propulsion, so it helps them move. Swim. Yeah, swim through that water because they're going. So, um, oh, I should have put diet earlier. But so they feed almost exclusively on algae. Oh, I had no idea. Actually. So they're that's why they're in the water all the time. They're eating all that algae, but they can only oh. eat green algae. They cannot eat brown algae. Important distinction. Which is crazy. They also have these really long, sharp claws that allow them to hold onto rocks when there's really strong currents. That's cool. Um, which is super cool. Cool evolutionary um, tactic. I realized I needed to add in some size just to give a little bit of context. Sure. So they typically range between 12 to 56 centimeters. That's 4 to 22 inches. Oh. From snout to vent. So it doesn't include their tail. Okay. Um, and their tail length, they had a separate measurement for tail length. Mm-hmm. 17 to 87 centimeters. Mm, 84 centimeters. Doesn't matter. Which is 6.7 to 33.1 inches. So, like, their tail is longer than their body most yeah, of the time. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, but Which I feel is, like that's the case with a lot of iguanas. That's true. 
Also, if it's going to propel you through the water, like, you want it to be powerful. Yeah. Maximum weight of adult males is 12 kilograms, which is about 26 pounds. That fluctuates down to the smaller ones on Genovesa Island that are one kilogram or 2.2 pounds. So they okay. really, there's a wide range of, of sizes. So again, like I said, their diet, they feed almost exclusively on algae um, and they'll dive to find food. So like just watch videos of marine iguanas diving to find food. There are some cool planet Earth features on yes. them. Yes. And they're awesome. super cool. The males tend to go, they're a bit, bit bigger, so they'll dive deeper um, where females will wait for it to be and small males will wait for it to be like a little bit shallower when the tide comes um, out, goes out. Goes out. Yeah, I think that makes more sense. Yeah. But yeah, so they're diving to find their food. So one thing that always, I oh, this is one of my funnest facts oh, to share. Tell me, I'll remember it. I won't. Is that they sneeze salt. Uh, is that? <laughs> so they're diving for, for food. Yeah, in, and like it just goes sea. up their nose, kind of like so I did last week when I was in Mexico. They're, yes, exactly, which is the worst feeling in the entire world. So uncomfortable. The salt on your brain feeling is just awful. <laughs> But yeah, so they're diving for their food, so they're ingesting a lot of salt, yeah. and they're, so they have a lot of extra salt. So they have specialized glands that help clean their blood of the salt, because mm-hmm. you don't want to have too high of a salt content. That's not um, good. Salt, salinity? Yeah, yeah, you don't want too much salinity. But they mainly filter it out. Filter through out of their blood and out through their nose. So they sneeze. So That's like fascinating. You, Lizard which, sneezing. Yes. Which is why they always look kind of gross. Like, they're already, like, kind of wrinkly, but if you see them, like, they'll have... They also, like, I think they cry salt, too. Aww. So they'll just have, like, I mean, crisp... don't we all? <laughs> it's true. The saltiest tears are the saddest ones. Mm. But they also... Like, if you look at them, like, their nose will be crusted in salt. Or they'll have, like, salt <laughs> under their eyes or, like, salt on their head. Oh, man. They and look this like me after watching a dog dying <laughs> just in a movie. have to get rid of it. But it makes them look, like, legitimately crusty. Crusty. Because they're just yeah. covered in salt because... If they have too much salt in their bodies, they're going to get dehydrated. They're not going to live. Like, they need to get rid of it. So they have these really cool glands to help them get rid of salt. Fascinating. But they only can get rid of it to, like, the outside of their body, and then they look crusty. Yeah. Behavior-wise, they tend to live in super large colonies, but that's not because they're social. It's just because living on top of the rocks where it's warm is best. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll uh, they'll live, like, really close to each other, and they'll, like, touch and overlap, but it's not, like, a social thing. It's not, like, grooming and it's mammals rather a, and stuff. It's rather a matter of space. Yeah, it's just, like, more they need to be. Okay. Right. Um, so they'll live on rocky shores. Usually it's somewhere between 20 to 500 animals on, like, in one area, but it's been up to, like, a 1,000 mm-hmm. of just, like, all these marine iguanas because it's the place to be. Large males do defend territories for a couple of months during breeding season, okay. um, but it's called it's um, an example of lecking. Have you ever heard of a lek? I've never heard that. I should probably figure out get an actual definition up, but they're like temporary. They're like very small, kind of symbolic spaces to defend. It's not an actual territory. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, just like my my personal bubble kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and like this is my place, and if I defend this, like the ladies think I'm cool. Cool. But. It's also the basic monetary unit of Albania. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> oh, um, man. If we have any Albanians listening, um, that was not it was not at you. So it's like a space where they can, like, you know, puff up their chest. Sure. You know, do all these kind of yeah, bite. Yeah, yeah. But it's not an actual, like, territory that they're defending. It's just like a space for a moment. Mm-hmm. And that's my scientific description right, of the Right, 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 right. Other than it. the Albanian currency. Um, Listen, I think that works. Right. 
But yeah, so they're not social, but they're not antisocial. They're not actively avoiding each other, but they're not actively finding each other out. Yeah. In terms of conservation... So these guys have a relatively small range, which already kind of puts them in that vulnerable category because if the Galapagos goes, then they go. They don't have anywhere else to go. It's like a lot of... Um, Like, they're pretty popular, you know, on this channel, but if that channel goes, they're not moving to another channel. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, Their main thing to combat... Oh. What were you going to say? Threat. Threat. Yeah, that's, that's a better way of saying it. Their main threat are introduced predators. So things that are introduced to the island of the Galapagos that they have no natural defense against. Such as? Such as, like, pigs or, uh, you know, some kind of livestock coming on. Fucking feral pigs, man. Dogs, cats, rats. All those things that they just aren't prepared for because they've yeah, never... They haven't they adapted haven't, to these They haven't yet. evolved alongside them, so they don't have any way of really defending themselves. Um, so, again, that and just the fact that the only place they live is the Galapagos. So they are protected under the laws of Ecuador. They have protected under that. Um, and they're listed under CITES Appendix 2, which protects them. Cool. Basically, the Galapagos National Park is protected, and all of the sea range, the Galapagos um, Marine Reserve, is also protected. Right. But there's a lot of protection and organizations working to protect the Galapagos and keep them this pristine yeah. environment. Supporting organizations like the Galapagos Conservation Trust to keep those lands pristine and protected yes. Yes. Um, is really, again... Other than, you know, outside predators coming in, this is the only place they live. If we don't protect that, they're so, going to be gone. This is an interesting thing that I've been talking about a lot with friends lately yeah. is this idea of ecotourism, mm-hmm. wanting to visit these pristine places like the Great Barrier Reef, the Galapagos, Antarctica, these places that are are still relatively untouched by humans, yeah. but more and more humans are going there yeah. and we are impacting life there. Yeah. And... There's this argument, well, if people don't see it and experience it, they're not going to want to protect it. They're not going to understand it and value the beauty of it. But how do you reconcile that with, hey, this is way too many people and therefore pressure on a very pristine, unique ecosystem. And so I don't know the answer to that. There are a lot of groups doing work on this right now, but it sounds very similar what you're describing right now. I think, yeah, I think ecotourism has always been such an interesting beast to kind of think about um, because there is the idea of, you know, if people don't see it, they don't want to protect it. It's like, okay, we'll just show them video of it. But at the same idea... Not the same. There's, if you don't provide, and this might be opening a can of worms, but if you don't provide an option, a sustainable option mm-hmm. for people to see it, they're going to find other ways to see it. Yeah. So give them that avenue. Yeah. And like making sure to work with the groups that live there, work yeah. with the people who know the organisms, know the, you know, the biology, the ecology of the location. Mm-hmm. But people are going to find a way to get to those places that they want to get to. And if, you know, there isn't an outlet that is sustainable and is aware of, like, what they're doing, Mm -hmm. it becomes problematic. So as much as I'd love to be like, no, these places are untouched, they should stay untouched, knowing the world we live in, I feel like that's a very unrealistic dream to have. Yeah, I agree. Which is, like, a because, like, I would love to have that feeling of, like, you know, just because it's beautiful doesn't, like... People shouldn't have to need to I mean, see it firsthand to want to save it. So that's kind of how I feel when I watch any of David Attenborough's mm-hmm. bits. Not bits. Oh, my God. If I, 
films. Take two. That's how I feel when I watch any of David Attenborough's films or documentaries, Planet Earth or Our Planet that just came out. I see these places that I've never been and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so incredible. That's amazing. I want to protect it. But there is that part of me that wants to go see it. Yeah. So, And I don't think there's anything wrong about that. I think there's like... Wanting to travel and explore the world is, like, part of the great thing about being human. Mm-hmm. But, like, it also is the struggle of knowing that you need to do it sustainably and ethically. And, like, yeah, the choices you, like, even just traveling to go see someone is going to make it, like, traveling to Africa to go see these amazing things is going to have an impact Still on the planet. So how do you offset that? So I think just, like... Realizing every decision you make has a cost. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the best advice right now. And just being aware of that and being like, how can I offset this? How can I make this better? Totally. I completely agree. Yeah. So, but yeah, so those are marine iguanas. Great. Um, Super cool and gross, but also like awesome. So um, go like Google just marine iguanas swimming because it's It's crazy to see like, you think of like reptiles in the water, you think of like crocodiles or Mm -hmm. alligators, but these are like, Full-on lizards just, like, swimming around in the water. So, so cool. It's crazy. But. Um, well, I think it's really funny that last episode we both did animals yes. that lived underwater. Yeah. And now we're both doing animals that do part-time. Oh. <gasps> yeah. Part-time? Yeah. Can I guess? <laughs> you can guess. I so, want clues. Um, I did not know that this species existed until a friend suggested it to me. Oh. Shout out, Adam. Um, I don't know Adam. He was the one that told me it was Canada geese, not Canadian geese. Oh, Adam, I love you. I know. He's the or- he's the ornithologist down in Florida. But then he... What? So is it a bird? No. Oh. No. He's right. just... That's his context. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so, well, there's like birds that are like aquatic birds, like penguins. Right, right. No, it's not. So this amphibian mm-hmm. is found in the Sierra Nevada and Southern California mountain ranges. All right. And I don't know how else to give you a hint because oh, it's not like an iconic is. species by any means. Okay, so I'm not probably gonna guess it. It's an amphibian found right. in mountain so ranges. It's a, found at high altitudes. So it's a frog or a toad or a newt or a salamander. <laughs> I don't think it's a Sicilian, but who knows? <laughs> um, I don't know my amphibians that well. I wish I did. Um, it is a frog. Okay. It kind of looks toadish though. Do you have any ideas? I feel like I do, but not really. Okay. Give up? I mean, Give I me don't... Give like two more seconds. Okay. Um... Is it a... Oh, no. That's not wrong. I mean, that's, that's not wrong? Okay. <laughs> that's not right. You want me to give it you its Latin name? Yeah. <laughs> Rana muscosa. Well, musk usually means small. All right. Well, okay, I give up. Muscosa. <laughs> muscosa means mossy. Oh. It's a it's a mossy okay. frog. Oh, is well, that what it is? That's not what it's that's oh. what its Latin name translates gotcha. to. Sorry, that was very anticlimactic. I I'm gonna tangent real quick, and we can probably take it out. But muse m u s means small. It's what's used for like mouse. Oh. But when they named the blue whale, they used it in their Latin name because they thought it was funny <laughs> to put in its Latin name that it was small. That's funny. I yeah. didn't know that. I think so, that's yeah, accurate. Muscosa means uh mossy <gasps> give me one second because i want to be excited about what you said but i want to make sure i'm also right yeah blue whales are balenoptera mean baleen whale musculosa musculus musculus m-u-s-c-u-l-u-s but what does musk mean m-u-s means small 
Just M U S. Okay, interesting. But sorry. Okay. Go ahead. So I did the mountain yellow legged frog. Oh wow! <laughs> I didn't get that. That is shocking. shocking. Didn't see that coming. So as I said, it's kind of a toadish looking. It doesn't okay. look like your frog, which your has like frog. smooth skin yeah. and gr- green. I feel like that's what people envi- yeah. envision. Not accurate, but that's what you envision that's like the for the frog. average lay person. They are brownish. They have a brownish back, a yellow underbelly Ooh. with speckles in between. You just said mm-hmm into your glass, and it echoed, <laughs> and I really hope that the microphone picked that up. It was glorious. They don't have stark yellow legs, um, even though their name says yellow-legged yeah. frog. They're rather small. They're one to three inches <gasps> in size. Oh, babies. Very, very small. Babies. They were once abundant in the Sierra Nevada and Southern California mountain ranges in elevations of 1,000 to 7,500 feet, or that's 370 to 2,300 meters. They were also so abundant that you could nearly trip on them when hiking. <coughs> so, such a fact that it made Maggie lose her breath. Oh Choke to death. Almost. You know, the classic choking on your own spit moment. Oh, cute. Oh, my God. I used to do that all the time when I waited on tables. Oh, God. so embarrassing. That is so embarrassing. Just like, excuse me a moment. I'm excuse just me, like, cough around your food. It's the worst. So, anyway, they were so abundant that... That when you walked around, you could walk on them on the trails, and they were referred to as mountain gnomes. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. That's, a, that's exactly what I wrote. This adorable. is adorable, and I love it. <laughs> Solid note taking. Um, so they emerge from their wintering. Well, this is giving it away. They hibernate. Whee! This is so cool. They are frogs that hibernate. And when reptiles and amphibians hibernate, it's called brumation. Oh, I never heard that before. It's pretty neat. They basically, like, die, right? Like, they go into a state of, like... Of state, yeah. Of, like, like, of, like mostly, mostly... Mostly dead. Mostly dead. Like, like one if we're going to be, per... like, Princess Bride here, they're mm. mostly dead. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He's not dead. He's only <laughs> mostly dead. <laughs> so they will emerge after, like, most of the snow melts in these high elevations. Mm-hmm. They can be tadpoles for three to four years. What? Yeah. Isn't that insane? Who chooses to be that young for so well, long? Well, if I could, I'd be 29 forever. Looking back on it now. Yeah. They eat beetles, wasps, bees, dragonflies, and sometimes other tadpoles. Damn. And given that they live in the mountains, they're very durable and hardy. They can survive in freezing temperatures. That's how they have adapted. But what I realized aside from all of this basic biology sure there's there's some there's basic the same basic biology everywhere that you research but one thing that kind of takes over everywhere that i've read about them is their decline um so yes i've tried to do a lot of research as to how these frogs live and their existence but every article that i have read every nonprofit that is doing work to protect them has talked about their decline more than their basic biology how let's get real depressing for a second sad is it that i feel like it happens a lot with species that you don't know that they exist until right. they're growing away right so that's that is exactly what i'm getting at yeah. like i'm afraid that we don't know enough about them yet. Yeah. Uh, but we do know that they are disappearing because they were once so abundant, you might also almost step on them. But now there's such a decline since the 1970s-ish. Yeah. And over over that time, 90 
percent no have have disappeared from their from their former range is they are they a chitrid fungus kind of yeah she's nodding her head so um i'll i'll talk about that in just a second what ashley just mentioned but they're threatened by introduced species in these mountain ranges Mm. so um particularly one thing that's introduced is trout and the trout oh. will eat them wow um and or are competing for similar foods i believe i guess but, they're very small so that makes sense that but they get eaten. the 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 trout are being introduced by fishermen mm-hmm. that are like oh this is new range yeah. because it's getting warmer i can introduce trout farther up the stream farther up the mountains um also disease pesticides environmental changes habitat degradation due to livestock grazing and habitat changes due to climate change. I think it's so, also really important to point out that amphibians tend to be really sensitive to environmental exactly. changes because so, they breathe through their skin. Yeah. If things happen outside of their, like, out, you know, where they are, like, they feel it more immediately than any mammal ever 1,000%. If you guys didn't pick up on that, um, amphibians breathe through their skin. That's why when you when you look or feel, at, feel a, a frog, like, they're kind of sticky. That's how they breathe. And frogs are often considered an indicator species because they are so susceptible to any changes in their environment. And that's exactly what's happening. So... As the climate warms in these high altitudes and it's getting warmer the further up in altitude you Mm -hmm. go, the more opportunity there is for livestock to live up there. The more opportunity there is for fish to migrate further up a stream. Mm -hmm. And these habitat changes are partially human introduced. It's partially other species adapting to the changes and it's affecting the frog's lifestyle. Needless to say, they are listed as endangered by the IUCN, and they are on the Endangered Species Act, um, listed as endangered in the Endangered Species Act, whatever. But it's something something Ashley also mentioned is that there is this fungus that they are also susceptible to, and I'm going to try to say it. <laughs> I think I said it wrong, so... So, there- it is a fungal dece- disease known as chytridiomycosis. Chytridiomycosis, I think. Unless you pronounce the C-H as ch. I pronounced it chitrid, but I also have heard it chitrid. Um, Basically, it starts with C-H, and it affects a lot of amphibians. It does, and it attacks the the keratinized areas of a frog's body, which keratin, if you guys remember, that's what, like, your fingernails are made out of and what a rhino's horns are made out of. Um... It's it's a, a structural part of your body, mm-hmm. which includes horns, claws, and hooves, and outer layers of the skin and other animals. Yeah. So just to give you an idea. The infection just spreads to their entire body. It makes them suffer. Like, it's just disgusting how yeah. they, they will slowly be unable to move. Because and- if you think about it, the skin to us is, like, important, but to an amphibian, it's how they breathe. So think right. of, like, yourself Think of, like, pneumonia, pneumonia or bronchitis. Yeah. Slowly suffocating. You yeah. can't breathe. It's a lot more difficult. Things become a lot. Yes. This is super depressing. It is sad. So I will say, though, that one of the biggest conservation efforts of these frogs is happening at the San Diego Zoo. <gasps> Ooh. And they are breeding these frogs and uh, researching their behaviors and, and their bodies. And then they're reintroducing them into the Southern California mountain ranges, Ooh. which is really awesome. So every year, tadpoles, as I said, are bred or they are taken from native lakes throughout California and they're brought to the zoo. 
And then while they're undergoing an inoculation process, they are made immune to this fungus that we just mentioned, which is really awesome. Yeah. And then once they become juvenile frogs, they're reintroduced. Yeah. So there are serious conservation efforts happening. And that's kind of goes back to something we talked about last season, and that is the good and bad of zoos, right? Like they can have really great purposes in trying to diversify populations that are dwindling, and they bring the animals to you. Also, like we were just talking about with the marine iguanas, like mm-hmm. this is a way to make people excited about an animal yeah. and to see it up close and personal if they can't go to the Galapagos, if they can't go to Antarctica. So there is good about zoos, but then there's also the struggle that I I don't understand where it's like, why don't you have a proper enclosure for a cheetah that yeah. needs so much range and all those things? But anyway... So if you are in California or if you're in San Diego, go check out the Mountain Yellow Legged Frog exhibit. Um, Ask them what they're doing because they have a really awesome program for these frogs. Um, Yeah, I feel like when it comes to zoos, as much as I struggle, in the end, I know that San Diego Zoo is a really great zoo. I know. uh, It is. They're doing really great things. And yeah, all other aspects of zoos put aside, the conservation efforts are real. Yeah. The, the love for the animals is real. The yeah. want to, you know, conserve that species and make sure other people can enjoy it for generations to come is real. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's just true. 1,000%. Especially at the San Diego Zoo. Especially there. <laughs> Which um, changed my whole future path in life, but whatever. So if you are going hiking in um, some of the mountain ranges of the Sierra Nevada, Inyo National Forest, Sequoia <gasps> National Park, Kings Canyon. Can we go? I think we should go. Let's go. Um <laughs> Because if you're if you're in like around mountain lakes or creeks, lake shores, streams, that's that's where these frogs are hanging out. And so take a look. They are very small. Like I said, they're brownish uh, with speckled and yellow underbelly. Oh. oh, fun fact about these guys. Yeah. I don't recommend picking them up. Uh-oh. But if you perhaps are with a biologist that can pick it up, uh-huh. or you're at the San Diego Zoo, yeah. you pick them up and you smell their bellies, it smells like garlic. What? <laughs> That's precious. It is. These little mountain gnomes smell like garlic. That's adorable. So, um, like I said, there's not a ton of unique information known about these mm-hmm. animals, but... That's because we we haven't known a lot before yeah. the fact that they have been come it become endangered. So they're really cool, Adam. You probably could say more than I could since you suggested this animal to me. But this is my attempt uh, on a bottle of wine. I think it's a solid attempt. Yeah, I will say in general, amphibians are hard because. They're not one of those, you know, charismatic megafauna. They're not gigantic. That people don't want to know. Again, they're one of those animals that we don't know about until we realize that they're disappearing. But it's so important to realize that frogs are an indicator species. If, if there's a frog in your in your backyard or in a forest back home, that's great. That's great. Like, keep it going. Yes. But, um, it, they, yeah, they show us when Real the environment quickly, is when... not doing well. Exactly. Oh, God. Was big, that okay? Big deep breath. I thought it was great. Great. I feel, I feel good that I um, was not able to guess that because I don't know how I would be able to guess I know. that. But no, I'm always here to learn more about frogs and amphibians in general because yeah. they're so cool and I feel like they're understudied and underappreciated. They um, are. I recommend like, everybody go go check out the Mountain Yellow Leg Frog. Do, just even if you just read the yeah. Wikipedia page, because you're gonna school all your friends and be like, "Did you know this animal existed?" Do do do. And like, I guess as much as I love, I love mammals. I do. But amphibians, so fucking cool. Fish, 
so fucking cool. Oh, really Birds, so fucking cool. Like mammals get all the all, all, get have you know have the biggest biggest falling. Let's yeah. be real, but that doesn't mean that the other animals aren't equally as so, cool or like cooler and just in different aspects. I know. That's what I love about the animal kingdom is that like. You go from, like, a gigantic blue-ass whale to, like, living underwater, being gigantic, breathing air, to, like, these tiny little frogs that can breathe through their Everybody skin. Everybody has found like, their specialty in the evolutionary it's crazy. Change, which, chain, which is great because sharks, okay, they figured it out through five mass extinctions. And, like, alligators and crocodiles, they're ancient. They have been working for years. but. Yeah. Then there's mammals that are still evolving right? and figuring out... Then you got really old okay. platypus that, like, I kind of figured it out, but, like, not really. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's just crazy. It is so fascinating, people. Listen, I love animals. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. It just It's so but cool to try to wrap my head around. It's insane. If I had to go back to school, I might, I might study animal science. I mean, do it, but then regret it because you're just still obsessed with them and you want to learn everything and you can't pick one. So you make a podcast where you just talk about one each week. <laughs> so it comes full circle. <laughs> full circle. Oh, man. Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah, and with that, uh, just a reminder. <laughs> that we are animal enthusiasts. We are not scientists. So yeah, couldn't you guess? Don't cite us in your academic papers, John. Samantha. Samantha, do your research. We want you to get excited about these animals just like we are, but we also want you to go ahead and take your own exploration of learning. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we started this. It's for you. To learn. And so that we can drink and yes. have a reason to drink. <laughs> and have a reason to, like, geek on. You want to take us out, Maggie? I'm going to take us out. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tune in next time when we learn about more animals, their biology and habitat, the threats they face, and what people are doing about it. So long. <laughs> that sounded so insincere. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. Bye. I promise it wasn't.